That's the sound of my pickup truck starting. It's a silver 2009 Ford Ranger, the car that got me to school, jobs, sports practices, friends' houses, everywhere I needed to go when I was finally old enough for a license and could stop relying on the public bus that met the bare minimum standards of letting you get anywhere. And by anywhere, I mean literally any place that isn't Chimicum, Washington. Clara and this is Coming and Going. In this series, we go behind our glamorous Instagram facades and talk about the restless and anchorless life of coming and going. A life dispersed between home and home. But also about growing up, I guess. But this time, we're doing something a bit different. Hi, I'm Onda. Hey! You've been listening to my thoughts and feelings for a couple months now, but as we're all aware, There are feelings and thoughts of home which I can't relate to. I've invited a few others to speak to their versions of home. In this episode, Onda will talk to us about a home in small town USA. The pickup goes against just about everything anyone who knows me would expect me to stand for. I study environmental science, and let me tell you, you don't drive a truck for the gas mileage. And yet, back in high school, I was front and center of the Girls Who Drive Trucks page of our yearbook. My friends and I would take it to the drive-in movie theater in the summers. They'd ride in the back driving from the skate park, the local hangout spot, to our houses late at night. I hauled around boats, firewood. There was always sailing gear drying in the back. And for one job for a little while, it was always full of painting supplies. That home is intertwined with a pickup truck is the most stereotypically rural American piece of my identity that I've managed to hold on to. Back in the day, it was important because it was a guaranteed escape route. I wanted out. In part, I wanted to leave the monotony of routine that I'd curated over the years. The Thursday afternoons I spent building boats at the shop, the Friday afternoons I'd spend rowing them, on winter mornings when I could be found elbow deep in a creek sampling water quality for environmental science classes, the time I spent in classes, the quality of which were adequate, they were enough to meet the expected standards of a rural public school system. I enjoyed the routine while it lasted, because I knew there was the promise of college on the horizon. And for some reason, if that plan went completely off the rails, I had a truck, a way to get out by my own volition. Why? There was something about Chimicum that didn't feel quite right to me. Let me tell you about Chimicum. It's less than 2,000 people, probably a similar number of cows. It's pretty liberal, people are always really nice. It's not always up to date, but it's a good place. I like coming back for a week to 10 day glimpse of my old world every summer. I like to take my work to the one coffee shop with good Wi-Fi and drink their coffee sprinkled with orange peels. I like watching our chickens run around our yard and I like wrapping up in a down jacket even in the summer and walking on old familiar beaches. But when I come home now, I watch Chimicum like an outsider, like someone who doesn't live there anymore. In the three years I've been gone, A few people have moved away, a few new families have moved in, many of my friends and classmates have moved to a town up north, which has a few more people and opportunities. A new cidery and a growing farmer's market have brought up the summer tourism numbers. This summer, I still ran into many of the same people I always see in the grocery store or coffee shop, but those who didn't know me treated me like a visitor. I walked through the town with the same old confidence of knowing its secrets. The best place to eat a slice of pizza is if you jump the railing on the main dock and sit with your feet dangling over the water. The best combination of spices to put on movie theater popcorn. 
but more than one person stopped me to ask where I was visiting from. I spent a long time trying to figure out why. It took conversations with my two non-white friends from home. The first, my friend's sister, who looks distinctly East Asian, who offhandedly mentioned the lack of Asian representation anywhere in our social circles at home. The second, with my friend who dryly remarked that she could write a book of short stories about small-town racism. She's of African-American and Caribbean descent. On two occasions, we were mistaken for twins. For reference, my mom is white and my dad is Japanese. Race is not the conclusion that anyone wants to land on when they wonder why they feel like an outsider in their own home. You want it to be something easy, something like, oh, hmm, maybe I should wear a pair of sandals with socks and an oversized flannel shirt to fit in better. You want it to be something you can change. Because let's be honest, I'm probably not going to get any whiter anytime soon, but it wouldn't be that hard to buy that flannel at Goodwill. But you can fit in anywhere, people tell me. It's true, I've been mistaken for Korean in Seoul, North Indian in Hyderabad, and Turkish in Berlin. But is it worth it when the one place you can't seem to fit in is in your own home? The second week I was home this summer, I went to buy some fishing weights at the local outdoor supply store. Long story short, I needed to duct tape them onto a line for divers to measure distance underwater for my job at the time. The counter clerk and I smiled at each other. She was new, I hadn't seen her here before. Where are you visiting from? She asked. I'm just home for the summer, I explained. I'm on summer break. Home? She looked surprised. Here? Visiting my parents, I said, confused as to why she was confused. Where are you originally from? She asked. Here, I started to say, and then it clicked. I paused and I rephrased. Here, I said, but my dad's Japanese. She didn't think I'd grown up here because I looked different. Read, I wasn't white. I sat in my truck, the very same truck, in the parking lot afterwards, feeling vaguely defensive. It wasn't an isolated incident. Earlier that week I'd been sitting on the porch outside of the office I was working, headphones in, when someone walked by, and then walked back. They looked at me until I took out my headphones, and they asked me if I was Indian. They were reluctant to take no for an answer until I broke down my racial ancestry. Dad's Japanese, mom's a Northern European mix. They walked away shaking their head and saying they never would have guessed. Well, obviously, or you wouldn't have asked me, right? A week later at the pharmacy, the clerk read my name on my debit card and said, Wow, you know what's funny? My dog is named Yoshi, after the Mario character. Just like your last name. It's hard to place these interactions. The tone-deaf questions directed at me when I'm home are tiresome, and sometimes kind of funny, more than offensive. And in today's finally starting to talk about race landscape, I count myself incredibly lucky that I don't live in fear for my safety because of my racial demographic. We have a long way to go before minor racial insensitivity in small towns should rise to the forefront of conversations. But when Clara asked me if I wanted to talk about coming home, this was all I could think about. It raises an important question. Who gets to call somewhere home? I certainly don't feel like a victim of racism, and I would really hope that nobody thinks of me as one. There are a number of super valid reasons to ask this question. My personal lens happens to be through ethnicity, and for reasons tied to that or not, I am certainly not the only person asking who gets to call somewhere home. This is a question that I have thought about extensively outside the context of Chimicum and inside the context of Minerva. Most of this podcast was produced sitting on Clara's couch in Fjallbacka, Sweden. Here is my glimpse into Clara's home, part of a home you've been hearing about now for three episodes. I'll be spending the next few days in Berlin, a city we both called home at one point. But even then, were we, was I entitled to call Berlin home? 
I've tried measuring this in months. Like, if I've lived in a place for two months, I can call it home. In friends, if I have at least two people who I would reach out to and contact from the city if I came back. If I found a favorite coffee shop or have some sort of exercise routine. But honestly, these don't really work. More recently, home has become a place to come back to. In Minerva cities, I've found that I can't call each residence hall home until I've left and come back. Whether that's a day spent biking to a small town outside of the city or a weekend away for a break, home is wherever I'll return to at the end. I'm still grappling with how to reconcile that when I'm finding new homes while traveling with Minerva, I need to travel away from these traveling homes to make them feel like home at all. Sounds privileged? It is. Sounds confusing? Yep, that too. Here's the thing about home, and this time when I say home, I mean Chimicum. Sometimes my relationship with it feels fragile. On the grounds that I don't necessarily look like I belong there. On the grounds that my pickup truck is a remnant of a previous life. There's no one-size-fits-all solution for who gets to call somewhere home, and some people may suggest that Chimicum's not mine. But it has never failed me as a place to go back to. Not once. You've been listening to Coming and Going, but this time with my friend Onda Yoshina. There are more episodes coming throughout the summer, containing thoughts and observations. If you relate to the topic or anything said, please let me know. I love hearing from you. Similarly, if you have any ideas for something you'd like to be included, or if you want to be part of the series, send me a message at clara at minerva.kgi.edu. That's Clara with a K, by the way. Or my Facebook. Chances are we're friends there. Oh, and make sure to follow the Minerva Quest on Facebook and our podcast channel wherever you find your podcasts. The soundtrack to this episode is created by Lakey-inspired Jericho and Octillery. Thanks to the well-meaning but not always super aware people who made this story possible. And of course, thanks so much to Clara for working with me on the script and production and for inviting me to be a part of her project in this space. You should follow her other work. She's pretty cool. <laughs>